We're good. Okay. All right. Okay. Did that get your attention? Maybe that's that's why that happened. Uh, man, I, I thank God for Adaban. You know, I still remember him uh, coming the first time, and I was actually in uh, uh, that old house in South Kansas City. Um, man, and not only that, I mean, Adaban has been just growing leaps and bounds. And uh, I, I still remember <clears throat> there was a time where Edvon, uh, you know, asked him to read the scripture. And man, he was so nervous just reading the scripture in front of people <clears throat> to now just, I think just a few weeks ago was uh, preaching a sermon on Sunday night, you know. So it's just amazing. It's a God thing. And, uh, and, and he did so well on, on that. Uh, you know, so uh, just want to add to what Edvon said in terms of, uh, the ministry here, uh, call friends of international. Um, one one of the reasons, uh, or one of the commission that we've been given as believers of Jesus Christ, is to go right, to all nations, right to to every tongue, to every kindred, uh, to share the gospel, the good news of the gospel. And one of the patterns that we see in terms of you know uh, immigration and uh, immigration and through the technology of plane, it's, it's like we have about a million people coming in, internationals, coming in every year. And it is, uh, man, it's, uh, it's a gold mine, right? It's a gold mine because how foolish it is that, that we know that we're supposed to go to all nations and share the gospel. And then they're, they're coming uh, here in the drove and we have the opportunity uh, to be a friend. That's where kind of friends of international came from, is be a friend, right? Uh, be a friend and and through that friendship by the grace of God, you know, we, we're trusting God for the light of Christ to shine in and through us and then the gospel may be preached. And again, uh, we always uh, pray that we're not, you know, doing a, a, a bait and switch, if you will, right? We're not about that. It's like, we don't want to be someone friends just because they're interested in Christianity. We want to be friends because God has, God is a friend to us. He has extended grace to us. And, and, and by extension, we can extend that grace to other people. Does that make sense? So, man, uh, it, it has to be genuine. And that's something we're trusting God every day, right, is to be genuine because God has given us grace. And through living in grace, we can then extend, extend grace to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So uh, we, are, uh, we are in... Nehemiah 5 uh, this evening. Nehemiah 5 this evening. So this is going to be uh, a bit of a uh, different uh, chapter in, in Nehemiah. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we uh, talk about Nehemiah here. And so I just want to have a review and <clears throat> before we jump into chapter 5. And one of the goals of preaching is, you know, is to always connect the ancient world of the, you know, the ancient world in the ancient world to the contemporary world that we live in right now. Does that make sense? Right? Because this is an ancient book. This is an ancient word from, from, from God. But man, we want it to be applicable to the contemporary world that we're living now. And so we're going to draw some principles, uh, you know, through, through the word of God. Uh, but Nehemiah, uh, in chapter one, right? Nehemiah uh, was God's answer to the plight of the remnant Jews. Uh, in Jerusalem. So, so he heard, man, that his people were suffering. They were in affliction and reproach. And, and when he heard that, man, he, he, just, uh, he just was so saddened by it that he, the Bible said he mourned, 
right? He cried over that situation because his people that were supposed to be the chosen people of God were supposed to be, be doing well, but yet the, their city was in ruins, their reputation gone. Uh, they're constantly under attack because the walls in, in Jerusalem was broken and there was rubbish uh, literally everywhere. So how can people thrive like that? How can you grow in an, in, in an environment where there's just, uh, just craziness and chaos everywhere around you? And Nehemiah uh, heard that and he was touched and he, he committed himself uh, to, to seek God and to pray and, uh, and, and, and to fast for, for these people. And God answered that prayer in a big way. Uh, and and it was it was amazing if you if you know the story he, he used a king, uh, and his timing was just impeccable, because because Nehemiah didn't even know how to initiate, uh, you know, in terms of how to help his people, but it was it was God that moved him so much that he couldn't even um, carry a good countenance when he was uh, with the king, right? When he was with the king, and so uh, you know. You know, in those days, when you're in the, with the Persian king, you're supposed to have like a, a professional face, a happy face, but, but Nehemiah couldn't even do that. He was so touched, he was so moved with what's, what's going on that he couldn't carry a good countenance. And, 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 and the king, uh, you know, over, you know, didn't, didn't blame him for that and gave him favor and, and blessed him and gave him the resource necessary to help his people in Jerusalem. So he traveled 1,600 miles to Jerusalem to help. Uh, chapter 2, um, yeah, so, so they had a plan. They fast and prayed. Chapter 3, we see that Nehemiah led the people to build the wall. And uh, you want to go through that, that slide that has the table? Next one. Yeah, just go through the whole, the whole thing. This is just review. And so what we discover in, in Nehemiah chapter 3 was all these gates, all these gates, and you're like, man, what is this all about? And we went through this for a couple of weeks, and we saw that all those gates had a significance. And the one gate that was so important, the first gate was called the sheep gate, right? And it represents what Jesus Christ has done. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. And so we, we had all this inspiration application that points back to what those gates are. We don't have time to go through that, but man, if you want to listen to that, uh, those uh, audio sermons are in our website. Okay, so those, t- those 10 gates, right, reach all the way from salvation, right, from the point of salvation to become uh, the fisher of man sharing the gospel, to establishing Word of God uh, as the foundation in your life all the way to the judgment seat of Christ. You see that? From start to finish, you see the whole purpose of God in building the gates illustrated by these 10 gates. Isn't that something else? Like the Bible is so full of treasures. If you would just study it, I mean, it's all there when you compare scripture to scripture. You see it all there and you can't miss it. And so, and then in the middle, it's all about the discipleship aspect and spiritual warfare. So that's chapter uh, four. That's chapter four. And so they, they work really hard in chapter four because chapter four 
was a time where they had external opposition from the enemies because we are in a warfare. Do you know that? As believers of Jesus Christ, you know, the enemy cannot take away our salvation, but man, he sure wants to make sure that you do not help uh, the cause of the kingdom to see people come to Christ or to see people grow up. And we call that discipleship. And so there was these attacks by this enemy and the people trusted God. They trusted their leader, Nehemiah. And what happened is they worked really hard to defend uh, Jerusalem, the gates in Jerusalem. They had to work really hard. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll just finish up chapter 4 leading into chapter 5. In verse 21 of chapter 4, it says, So we labored in the work, and half of them held their spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off our clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. Did you, did you hear that? It was so intense, they didn't even have time to change their clothes other than to, to wash their clothes. They have to stay in Jerusalem because they have to be on guard, to be vigilant because the enemy can come anytime, right? And they did that. And, and they ward off, right, potential threats. And that's how we ought to live our life, right? To, to be vigilant because the, the enemy, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, right? Seeking to whom he may devour. And if we're not vigilant, in terms of attacks coming in, whether that is a false doctrine, right, uh, or, or discouragement, man, uh, the, the, the enemy can, can cause us, our faith to weaken, right? And then we stop trusting God. So in chapter 5, we see now uh, a switch of gear into the opposition from internally. So we have opposition externally, and now we see opposition uh, internally. So if you want to turn to uh, uh, chapter 5, chapter 5, we're going to look at four, four different major categories, if you will, in this chapter, because again, th there's an ancient world element that I have to connect back to a contemporary world, but the principles will be the same. It talks about uh, oppression through greed, Okay, we're going to see a bit about oppression through greed. We're going to see a bit on oppression through bondage, keeping people in bondage. Okay, we're also going to see injustice. We're going to touch on injustice, which is a hot topic uh, these days, injustice, uh, social injustice, and on and on. And then the example of Nehemiah being selfless, being selfless uh, in the midst of all these that are going on, right? All the oppression, the greed, the bondage, the injustice. He was that selfless example, and we're going to see that at the end. So uh, let's jump into verse 1 and 4, but let me pray before we start uh, reading the word. Uh, Father, I, I thank you so much for tonight. Uh, Lord, um, we want to acknowledge your presence. Uh, we want to acknowledge, Lord, it is you that convicts our heart. And so, God, I pray that uh, you would do that tonight, that you would set me aside, uh, Lord, and you would deliver the message that you have given me, uh, that, that your people 
that are here, Lord, may hear uh, hope, uh, may hear your precepts, may hear your principles, uh, and be able not only to deliver themselves from the snares of the devil, but to be able to help other people uh, in, in delivering them from the snares of the devil. Uh, God, help us to be full of faith. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 1 to 4. Um, let's read. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For they were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there uh, were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. Uh, there were also that say, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children, and lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. So what we see here is they are in the middle right, of almost finishing uh, building the wall. And yet now we see these uh, leaders, these nobles who identify them, uh, uh, have already started to think about themselves, right? Because the, the people that are trying to rebuild their life, man, they are, they are struggling, right? Verse 2 says that, uh, you know, some families had big financial burdens, verse 2, because they have many sons and daughters, right? Make sense? Verse 3, right, uh, there is a dearth, there is a famine uh, going on during that time. And so it's very hard uh, for them to provide for their family. And so the, those families have to mortgage uh, their, their lands, their vineyards, and their houses to buy food. Okay, verse 4 says that they still have to pay taxes to the king, right? And so uh, in order to do that, they had to borrow money right, through, through land, through, through mortgaging their land and vineyards. So these people uh, were already in a difficult situation. But what did the leaders do, right? What did the nobles do? What did the rulers do? Man, they, they're oppressing them. They're oppressing them. Uh, they were being greedy. And uh, Isaiah 56, uh, 11 says, Yea, they are greedy, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, everyone for his gain from his quarters, right? They didn't have to do that. This is like a time of rebuilding the whole city. And yet they were giving these people that are already oppressed a hard time. So key point number one, uh, we must remember uh, to help our brothers and sisters who are truly in need. Right? We must uh, remember to help our brothers and sisters who are truly in need. Needs are everywhere. Right? Needs are everywhere. And, and man, we need to learn and grow in helping our brothers and sisters in Christ in need. Okay? Uh, just personally, uh, I have, uh, you know, over the years have given money uh, to brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you know, a place to stay for free and even a car. But if I examine, like, just in, you know, have I, can I do more with the resources, with the blessing that God has given me? Man, yes, I can. 
right, for those who are in need, and we have to take uh, hold of those opportunities. Um, I was t telling Rachel, my wife, over the years that, you know, uh, I, I used to do that very often, uh, but then I get fooled by these people, you know. <laughs> I don't know whether you, you've been there before, like people asking for money, and then, and then you realize that they actually use your money for something else. And I did that over and over and over again. And then, uh, and then you get frustrated, you know, uh, and then you get skeptical uh, on, on giving. Now, I, I want to balance this statement of helping your brother in need to uh, discernment, right, to discernment. Uh, because there are some brothers and sisters, right, uh, that have this spirit of entitlement. They have people that have the spirit of entitlement, and we, we cannot feed that spirit. Does that make sense? Right? The, the people is like, man, because I'm part of your family, you have to help me. Right? That's very different. Right? That's very different from the context of this story. Man, these people were suffering, were genuine, genuinely suffering. And as, as people who have, man, instead of helping them, they were, they were giving them uh, just a harder way uh, to be able to manage and sustain their life. Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. You know, and that's, that's what people want, right? That's what lost people are seeking for when they see a community of people that are helping one another genuinely, right? We see that example in Acts chapter 2, you know, uh, when the people were, were saved, one of the very, very first trademark of those people was, was identifying the needs of their brethren and then meeting them. And instead of forcing them to sell their house and their vineyards and, you know, whatever, they sell their stuff. You see the difference? right, uh, in this situation versus what we see in Acts chapter 2. And so uh, verse 5, let's, let's complete verse 5. Um, yeah, okay, so yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants. And some of our daughters are brought unto bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them, for other men have our land and vineyards. So, so they are stuck. They are stuck, you know, because they, they, they have, right, they, they, are, they have their vineyards, they have their land, they have their way of getting fruit, right, income, right, through, through agriculture. And so they cannot redeem back their sons and daughters and themselves. And in those days, if you can't do that, you know what's collateral? You. And so they had to do that. And if it's, if it's not enough, then my sons and then my daughters. And we see that this is not right in the eyes of God. In Leviticus 25, 39, you can just jot that as a reference. It says, and if thy brother that dwelleth by thee be waxen poor. Okay. If, if your brother is waxen poor and be so unto thee, thou shalt not compel him to serve as a bond servant but as a hired servant. And as a sojourner, he shall be with thee and shall serve thee unto the year of Jubilee. 
and then shall he depart from thee, both he and his children with him, and shall return unto his own family, and unto the possession of his father shall he return. For they are my servants, which I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as bondmen. Okay, see, see that's a difference between bond, uh, bond servant and hired servant. And they were treating their brothers as bond servants, trading them, right? Uh, trading them like a commodity. And that was wrong uh, of, of these uh, nobles and rulers to do that. You see, even today, okay, applying this, right? Applying this to a contemporary life. God doesn't want you and me to be under bondage. God doesn't want you and me to be under bondage. Just as God didn't want his people to be in bondage by one another. Okay? So we're going to look at what are the things that we can be bondage in today. Okay, okay. so you already have the, the, the list. Okay? So number one is we can be um, in bondage to sin. You know that even as believers of Jesus Christ, right? You can be in bondage to sin because you let sin to rule over you. You let your carnality to rule over you and you're in bondage to sin. John 8, 34, uh, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Right? That, that sin holds you as a bondage. That happens. God doesn't want that for, for us. Number two, we can be in bondage to religious good works. Okay, and I kind of put a parenthesis, parenthesis, the ones absent of God's word. In other words, you're doing good works for the sake of good works. It wasn't empowered by God's word. You know, we can do that, and that's called playing religion, right? You're just doing all the right things. You're saying all the right things. And yet, within that, there is no power. And, and it's so easily burned out because that, that power to serve and to care and to, to love was just within, right? It wasn't from God. And that, that is like religion. We cannot be in bondage to religious work. And that's what Galatians, the book of Galatians talks about. It's like, you know, doing some form of good works, right? Whether it's through ceremony or, you know, or, or circumcision, or doing something. So, oh yeah, you're good now, right? Doing religion. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ had made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. These are the things that can bond you, and then you get stuck. Like, then people don't know who you are, right? You come to Bible studies, and because you have put on a persona of a good Christian, you know, you never, you you never transparent, and you and therefore you know, um, you never have the need to confess. You know, and that's dangerous because we need to confess every day. Every day, uh, you know, our feet gets dirty. Uh, there's an illustration that Jesus washes disciples' feet, and and that reason is because it gets dirty, and we too have to do that. Uh, number three, we can be in bondage to money. We can be in bondage to, to money, and we know the scripture very well, right? The love of money, right? Not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Because, man, we, th that is kind of the master right now of really 
uh, the religion everywhere is 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 money, right? It's the love of money. But the Bible is very clear in Matthew six twenty four. It says, "No man can serve two masters, right? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is money." Okay, and, and can I just tell you that money is a terrible God? Uh, money is a terrible God. You can never be satisfied with it. There's never enough with it. Even if you have it, it controls you more than you control it. And I've seen this uh, in real life, right? In, in families where even they have money, but they live in such a way that is so in bondage to money, right? Money dictates everything they do. Right? Instead of money being the tool that's used to glorify God, money that, that God gives us money so that we can share that blessing, right? that we can further his kingdom. But if we are bondage to money, then money becomes very scarce and, and it be, it, for, for ourselves, and it's very hard to get it out, right? Very hard to get it out. And yet we see one of the attributes of God is a giver. One of the attributes of God is giver. Uh, but people get in bondage to money, and that extends to career, right? My career and, and so on, I have to work this, I have to do that, is, is the God of money, right? It's the God of money. We can be in bondage to money. Um, we can be in bondage to our past. We can be in bondage to our past. We got past issues, past traumatic stuff, right? And instead of trusting God to renew our mind to become a new creature, we are in bondage to our past, right? And then even some family members uh, doesn't, doesn't help, right? Because it's like, I know who you are. You are that wretched person. And, you know, you'll be always like that. And, 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 and Christ's like, no, 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 no. That's why I'm asking you to renew your mind, to be, this, you know, to be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ daily. But if we're not careful, we can be in bondage to our past. Uh, we can be in bondage to men. We can be in bondage to men. Um, you know, we, we, we become respecter of people. Um, so 1 Corinthians 7.22, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise, also he that is called, being free, is Christ's uh, servant. Yeah, bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Right? Again, uh, we can do that. Right to again to our employer, to people that you know, family members that we have to have this tie and so forth, and therefore I have to do that because I'm bonded to this person. Right? They have helped me in the past. They are my big brother. Again, uh, no time to explain all the stories, but again, I see this in families all the time. Uh, bonded to to men, and then instead of bonded to Christ. Uh, and then lastly, we can be bond, bond, we can be a bondage, we can be bonded to stuff, stuff, right? Stuff. Luke 12, 34 says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? So, so stuff can, man, keep you in bondage. And so I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, but man, we are downsizing more and more, man. Uh, uh, you know, the only things I was like, Tools, right? For me, tools. Uh, so praise the Lord. I can, I can, 
get rid of uh, a lot of my tools. Uh, but we can be bondage to stuff, right? And that can be our idol. So, so instead, instead of bondage, God wants us to be bonded to Christ. In fact, to be servants of Christ is how Christ would use the word. Servants of Christ. And number one is we should be servants of righteousness. Servants of righteousness. Romans 6.18 says, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. You see, you can never before, right? Like, like you couldn't do that before you were saved. But because Christ has died for you, he has, he has given, like he has cleansed you from all your sins, right? And, and what he, he no longer see is your sin no more, even though you still sin. And when you obey and do what is right, you are being a servant to righteousness. How cool it is that there is no condemnation, right, to those who walk, right, the, the way in which Christ wants us to walk. Um, number two is um, servant of the Lord, right, uh, or servant of Christ. Paul, that's, that's how he identifies himself, right? This is the identity uh, of a believer. It's, you know, Romans 1.1 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul recognized Right, that he is a servant of Jesus Christ, and he, Christ owns him. And this is one of the things that's often missed in the in the presentation of the gospel, right? Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, recognizing that by accepting this grace that God has given to all, right? Man, he he bought you full in full. And as a result, he is Lord. And if he's Lord, then we are his servants. You see, uh, a lot of, this is not popular, right? Because one of the big reasons why people don't want to accept Jesus Christ is because they want to be Lord of their life. Lord of their life. And so this is hard, right? But yet we see that is how Christ has called us to be. Our identity is servant of Jesus Christ. And finally, servants of all. Servants of all. We should be bonded to be a servant to all people because that's what Christ did. He was a servant to all. He came not to be ministered to, but to minister to all. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 44, uh, Jesus says, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Right? The disciples was disputing who shall be the greatest. Who shall be the greatest? And they think it's like the way the secular world works, right? If I can just, you know, weasel my way, you know, through, through great speeches or doing these great things, I can be the next top man, right? Uh, if I can be the most influential person, then I can be the top man. And yet what, what Christ was telling them, no, the one that is the chiefest is the servant of all. And so, so that is what Christ has called us to be. Right? to be bonded to him rather than to be bonded with the earthly things uh, in this world. Uh, let's move on to um, verse 6, verse 6 to 13. Okay, so now this is Nehemiah's 
reaction and then action towards the cry of the people. This is Nehemiah's reaction and action towards the cry of the people, verse 6 to 13. And I was very angry, right, with, with the oppression that was going on. When I heard their cry and these words, right, that they were bonded, that they are stuck, that there's no way for them to get freedom, you know, and they, their, their daughters and sons were born, uh, born servants to uh, these, these nobles and uh, leaders. Verse 7, then I consulted with myself, and I rebuked the nobles and the rulers, and said unto them, ye exact usury. Is that how you say that? Usury? Usury. Okay, which means interest, right? You collect interest from people. You, 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 you lend money and then you exact this interest that they have to pay back. Every one of his brother, and I set a great assembly against them. Uh, and we know uh, we're going to cross-reference one of the scripture that talks about how they have been commanded not to do so. Verse 8, and I said unto them, we after our abilities have redeemed our brethren, the Jews, which were sold unto the heathen. And will ye even sell your brethren? Or shall they be sold unto us? Then held their peace and found nothing to answer. Also, I said, it is not good that ye do. Ought ye not to walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the heathen, our enemies? You know, just note, note this. They will have been oppressed by the heathens for 160 years before this. Do you not remember, right? Do you not remember you were oppressed for a long time? Why are you doing this to other people? Uh, verse 10, I likewise and my brethren and my servants might exact of them money and corn, right? So Nehemiah saying, hey, I can do this. I'm a governor. I can do what you guys do, but I don't, right? Uh, and so he, 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 he pleased with them and said, I pray you, let us leave off this usury. Don't charge the interest to your brothers. Restore, I pray you, um, to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive yards, and their houses, also the hundred parts of the money. This is the uh, usury. And of the corn, the wine, and the oil that ye exact of them. Then say they, we will restore them and will require nothing of them, so will we do as thou sayest? Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise. And I shook my lap and said, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and empty. And all the congregation said, Amen and praise the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. Okay. So let's, let's break it down briefly and get to the key point, okay? Uh, verse verse uh, 6, Nehemiah was angry, right? But he didn't necessarily lash out his anger uh, to, to, to the injustice that was happening, right? What, what does the Bible say? He consulted with himself. Uh, that's, that's important to know. So if you get really angry over something, <laughs> take a bit of time, consult with yourself, like, hey, how should I approach this? Consult with God. And, and, and so that, you know, we, we be angry and sin not, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Now, Nehemiah rebuked the injustice through clear violation, you know, that we see in scriptures. And then sound reasoning as well. So, 
let, let's look at what he says exactly. Verse 7, he says that, hey, you're exacting usury. You're exacting interest from people. You shouldn't do that. Because Exodus 22, verse 25 says, If thou lend money to any of my people that is poor by thee, right? If you're lending money to people that is poor by thee, thou shalt not be to him as an usurer, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Right? So he's pointing back to scripture. Not just like, yeah, you know, being angry with someone. He, he, he said, hey, do you not, not know the word of God? You guys are supposed to be, you know, the people of God. How, why are you doing this? You see the difference? We always point people back to the scripture because that's the standard. That's what you want, you know, um, to, to hold people accountable uh, with, not just yourself, but with scripture, with the authority of God. Verse 8, right? They are selling, they're selling and buying their brethren like commodity. And we saw already in Leviticus 25, 39, they shouldn't be doing that, right? And if you do that, it should be, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's born, um, it's another word, uh, let, me, let me go back here. It's funny when you're trying to look for something, you just can't find it. Bond servant and hired servant. There you go. There it is. And hired servant. And if you do that, do it through a hired servant, just like today, right? That they have a way to repay themselves. They have a way to repay themselves. Uh, verse 9, they were not walking in the fear of God, right? Because God is giving them favor, right, through Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah means what? Jehovah comfort. Right, God heard their cry, and man, God is sending Nehemiah to help these people restore their life, and yet they are doing this to their own brother. Are you not afraid that God will say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to keep having the heathens oppress you," right? If you're doing this to your brothers, uh, verse ten, uh, Nehemiah says, "I could have done what you do too. I could have taken advantage." Of, of, of that too, but I did not. So, so, so then Nehemiah pleased with them to drop the interest, restore their land, their vineyards, their olive yard, their houses, their corn and wine and oil. And he had someone officiate that so that it makes it all official. And so he's putting accountability on, on these people, the nobles, the rulers, the money lenders. So key point number two, we must step in to help when we see injustice, okay? This is the contemporary application for us, okay? We don't have so much hired servant and bond servants today, right? But, but, but there's still injustice, right? But we must step in to help when we see injustice. So I'm gonna look at it from two angles. One is when you see injustice in the church, okay? Uh, within the brothers and sisters in Christ and when you see injustice outside of the church, okay? So the, the, the injustice when you see in a church, okay, if you, if you have been oppressed or you receive words, someone else is oppressed, the first, the first point is to, man, point them to Matthew 18, right? Matthew 18 is a, a, an approach that Jesus has given to us. Hey, confront that person 
with that wrong. If that person has offended, they have done something that's wrong, contrary to scripture, they have oppressed you, whatever that situation is, confront it, right? Confront the situation and say, hey, I, I thought about it, but man, why are you doing that to, to me, right? You confront that situation. So Matthew 18, uh, verse 15 to 17, you have that scripture to guide you through that process. But also we have to understand not many people are able to confront their oppressors, okay? Not many people uh, have confidence uh, to, to confront their oppressors, and that's why they're in that place in the first place, right? So when you hear that situation, well, you know, and that person, you know, is unable to do so, then you bring it to their spiritual leader. You bring it to their pastor, and then the pastor will take it from there and talk to the person. What you do not do is you do not gossip around of this person doing this and that, right? You do not gossip, oh, did you know? Hey, can we, you know, and sometimes we mask the gossip with prayer, right? Can we pray for so-and-so sister? She's doing this and that and to, you know, you know what I'm saying? We mask it like, well, man, but really, I just want to tell you a secret, like what's happening with that, 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 that person, that situation there. And we mask it and we're gossiping. We shouldn't be gossiping because that's, that even costs more division and confusion. Uh, but, but um, man, we should, we should defer our anger, right? Because we may not have all the data, right? You, you only heard from one side. So many times you do not have all the data. So you defer our anger and consult with, with, with our pastor or delegated leaders, right? Then they can then gather information from the different sides and make sure they mediate that situation, that oppression that may have happened. And that's what we, we see in the book of Acts, right? The widows were neglected. They went and talked to the pastors. The pastors or the apostles met and they decided, oh, okay, this is a real situation. They were neglected and so on. And they gave a resolution, okay? Uh, number three is if, 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 if it was decided you are the best person to confront that situation, maybe you're a Bible study leader or so on, do so with biblical principle and sound reasoning, just like Nehemiah did, right? He gathered them. There was a meeting place, and he confronted them and said, hey, this is what you guys are doing. It's wrong. And then number four, propose a resolution that has clear accountability. Propose a resolution that has clear accountability. Okay, so that's kind of four practical things, steps, if you will, uh, if, there, if you see injustice you know, within the body of Christ. But what if... Uh, you know, the injustice that's happening outside of church, okay? That's the popular thing. Now, I do not uh, want to, you know, this is not an exhaustive steps or anything because there's so much injustice. And so uh, you can, I could never cover everything, right? In terms of injustice. And I know everyone has an opinion on every injustice. And so I'm not attempting to cover all injustice, but, uh, but maybe we can, we, can, we can look at just uh, one, one recent one, okay? So one recent one is the, the whole Asian situation. Have you guys heard of that? Right, it's been trending a lot. It's like stop Asian hate because of something that, that, that happened in Atlanta, but that was really bad, right? I mean, there were, I think six or seven Asians got killed and that, that became the catalyst that, you know, stirred the whole nation. And then now you have this movement almost uh, in every city saying, oh, stop, you know, okay. so. So is there, you know, was that the best case necessary to be the spotlight? Okay, gather that data and see 
what what the killer said in his confession. Okay, gather that data and see was it a race issue or was it a sexual addiction issue? Okay, uh, gather that data yourself and come to that conclusion. Okay, but we have to gather that data. So so number one is you you know you assess the data. You assess the data, what's going on. So you, you follow the news and, you know, news are biased, but you try to get the facts in the news. But you view that in light of a broken world and then eschatology and times, right? Things are going to get worse, not necessarily better. And so, so recently I have a lot of like Asian uh, people, you know, from even other churches coming from the woodworks and like, hey, pastor, what do you do? Like, oh, I feel really angry. How do I deal with it, right? So, so I deal deal with it with the same kind of steps that I'm uh, listing right now. You assess the data, right, in light of a broken world. Uh, you defer your anger, just like Nehemiah did. Defer his anger, consulted, you know, in this case for us, consulted with God's word, right, and our spiritual leaders. Like, hey, man, I'm working through this difficult situation. How do I deal with that, right? And then you have to determine your identity in Christ, right? You have to determine your identity in Christ and you have, to, uh, you, have to, you have to see what the promise of God offers to us. What is our identity in Christ? Well, well th- that's who we are, right? Am, am, am I American first, right? Am I my race first or am I son of God first? Does that make sense? Right, because if you have that view, man, that doesn't have the same like personal attack because man, God loves the whole world. Right. So when I when I see my identity in Christ, I see a lost world who is hurt. And that's only gonna happen more and more. It's gonna wax worse and worse. But when I see in light of my identity in Christ, man, I that motivation not only is to the injustice, but I need to share the gospel more and more to other people, right? Um, um, number four is determine how you can best help with that situation if there's a platform. So I'm not against like helping even a friend, uh, you know, in, in, in their distress and so on with, with injustice. But, but one of the things that people need is to be heard, right? And you can be that person who hears their, their, their plight, their, their problems and what they're dealing in with. And, and normally there's even a bigger root issue, right? Because they don't have their, their mission and, and identity rooted in Christ. And so they get angry, okay? Now, the last, uh, the, the fifth one is always prioritize the gospel. Always prioritize the gospel. Do not allow injustice to overshadow our direct commandment to make disciples and win people to Christ. Okay, that is a very key point. You got to prioritize the gospel because we all have limited time. And, and, and man, if I can, I, okay, so let me, maybe, let, me, let me back it up a bit. What people need is the gospel, right? Because without the gospel, they can't, they can't have a personal revival in their heart, right? They can't have the Holy Spirit in their heart. So they need the gospel in terms of even uh, dealing with their anger and dealing with sin, you see? And so uh, as much as, man, we empathize with injustice, man, we got to remember we are called to make disciples and, and, and to share the gospel, okay? So I hope I balance that 
okay, meaning that you have to help people, but you also have to prioritize the gospel because the gospel is what sets people free. Okay, so I'm not saying don't empathize, ignore injustice. No, we have to step in, like we talked about uh, in our uh, in our uh, um, key point there. Okay, so now <clears throat> let's move on to the last part, verse 14 to 19. So this is Nehemiah's selfless example as a governor for 12 years. Okay, this is Nehemiah's selfless example as a governor for 12 years. Let's read 14 to 19. <clears throat> Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor <clears throat> in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even unto the 2 and 30th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that is 12 years, <clears throat> so he's been governor for 12 years, I and my brethren have not eaten the bread of the governor, so he hasn't taken a salary. Okay? 12 years <clears throat> hasn't taken a salary. But the former governors that had been before me were chargeable unto the people and had taken of them bread, not just bread, and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yea, even their servants bear rule over the people. But so did not I because of the fear of God. Yea, also I continue in the work of this wall. Neither bought we any land and any and all my servants were gathered thither unto the work. Uh, don't forget that Nehemiah brought a team, a big team. <clears throat> Moreover, they were at my table, and 150 of the Jews and rulers, besides those that came unto us from among the heathen that are about us. Now that which was prepared for me daily was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me, and once in ten days store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this required not I the bread of the governor, because the bondage was heavy upon this people. Okay, so, 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 okay, so Nehemiah has a good example here in the midst of all the corruption and oppression that was going on. Right, he hasn't taken a salary as previous governors did. Right, all all the, the the you know silver and bread and wine and so so on. And verse sixteen, he say he didn't even buy any land during that time. Now remember, land was cheap during that time. Why? Because it was chaos. Right, he could apply the hey buy low sell high. Right, I mean everyone knows that buy low sell high. I mean he was at that that time where he could just like buy up everything and like, you know, for his own interest. But he said he didn't do that, right? Because of the fear of the Lord. He didn't utilize his servant for personal gain either, but rather to do the work of the wall that God has envisioned him to do so, right? To help other people, right? The, the wall, remember, is a picture of uh, our, our, our spiritual state uh, to defend um, spiritual attack. And then, and then verse 17 and 18 say his expenses were very high, right? They have to kill like, um, he feeds 150 people every day, right? Man, that's a lot of people to feed. And it takes one ox and six choice of sheep and, and fowls, you know, uh, some kind of chicken in the, in the Middle East at a time over there. So man, the expenses are very high, but yet, but yet he didn't require the bread of the governor. 
he didn't take that salary. What an example, right, that Nehemiah had during this time. And so, so key point number three is we must question the motives of our financial stewardship. Okay, we must question the motives of our financial stewardship. And let me explain what I mean by that. Nehemiah is a picture of a selfless leader who truly understands eternal rewards, doesn't he? In verse 19, he said, Think upon me, my God, for the good according to all that I've done for these people. He understood the value of eternal reward because, because that's what's real. Colossians 3 talk about, right? Seek things that are above, right? Uh, Matthew 6.19 says, Lay up not for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thief break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thief do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Very clearly, we see where the hearts of the nobles, the rulers, the money lenders were. It was money, right? It wasn't helping the people. They, imagine that, right? I mean, they work hard together building the wall, protecting each other, but when things get loose, it's back to the Benjamins, right? It was the money because they didn't have that eternal reward perspective. My question to all of us, right, do we have that, that perspective? Do we really believe Matthew chapter 6? Do we really believe it? Or are we just like, yeah, I, I heard that before. I heard that before maybe many times. But really, as far as my financial stewardship is concerned, you can't see it. If I were to audit your account statement and I see where your money is going with, going to, right? I would see, man, it's not in the kingdom of God. It's in the kingdom of you or me, right? It's, it's, it's that. Where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Now, and then you're wondering, why am I not growing? Why am I not growing? Why am I not getting closer to God? Why am I not giving, uh, you know, more, more, um, more from God, whether it's spiritual or physical? Luke 16 has something to say about that. Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is also faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore we, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, okay, that's referring to money, okay, if, not, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? The true riches being eternal riches. Right. So the idea here is, man, if you can't be good stewards with your earthly treasures, with your, the money that you have, how can God trust you with eternal treasures? Do you see that? That's like the first test. That's why giving, tithing, those are like the basic, basic stewardship that we have in, in our church. Like, man, if a person can't tie and, and, and give sacrificially, I mean, you, you grow as you, you know, uh, you grow in that. How can that person be trusted in a leadership position? You know, uh, and I, I can tell you just personal testimony. I, I tie 
when I was earning like uh, six fifty an hour back in the days, long time ago, right? And and when I earned a lot of money uh, in London, I was working in London for five years, and and God really blessed that. Man, it was, it's it's still a joy, you know. Like you look at the check and like, wow, that's a big check, but. I look at like how God has led me and guided me. I never miss a dollar of that. Never miss. Never miss. In fact, very thankful. And yet what I find, not only, again, it's not about giving and then receiving a big blessing, although there, there is that concept in Malachi, but, but it's true that you can't outgive God. Okay? That's been my experience, and I hear that from people who, you know, who can give with a cheerful heart, right? And, and I cannot tell you uh, just um, how God just blessed me so much, uh, you know, in financially even, right? I was, um, I'll, I'll share a quick one. Uh, you know, I was, I was working in London, earning really high pay, uh, had, um, had a driver, uh, to bring me to work, you know, in a nice car and all of that, and was thinking like, wow, you know, this is, have I arrived, you know, kind of thing. Uh, uh, but God was, was so good to, to bring me back and say, hey, I, I want you to go back. And I took a, a, an internship here in this church for $10 an hour, okay, from that to coming back to the States because God has, he said, I'm not done with you yet. I got more I want to show you, teach you train you and to use you. And boy, uh, I cannot thank God enough, right? Uh, and I, I, I don't miss, I don't miss that opportunity, uh, the money at all, at all, right? So, so we, must, we must question the motive of our financial stewardship. How, how are you stewarding your finances? Is it is it helping God's kingdom or is it helping your own kingdom? Because that tells us a lot about ourselves. I'll, I'll end uh, with, with, um, with just summarizing, okay? Summarizing the, the three key points. We must remember to help our brothers and sisters who are truly in need. And you want to have discernment over that, right? Whether that's really empowering them to get out of their, uh, their reproach right, the affliction, or are you empowering a monster? You need to have discernment on that. If you're not sure, talk to your spiritual leader. Does that make sense in terms of helping your brothers and sisters in Christ who are truly in need? Uh, we want to be, uh, this is not here, but an add-on, we want to be servants of God, not to be a servant to sin or to be in bondage to other things. And then uh, we must step in to help with injustice. We must step in to help with injustice, and that, there's a process in doing so, but you cannot make injustice the main priority, if you will. Like, like it's there, but it's not the main, main priority, right? Otherwise, man, you're going to get, the, the solution is what? It's the gospel. The solution is prayer. The solution is one soul at a time, unless God gives you a bigger platform. Otherwise, you're just stirring confusion with people, right? And then flaming anger because there's just so much injustice. Uh, I, I don't know whether anyone has binged on videos of injustice. Have anyone done that? I mean, I bet, I bet there is, right? And what does that do to you? You get angry. You just get angry. 
and doesn't solve anything. Now, now you know a bit, you got some data and you get angry and you talk to other people about it. And then, and then they don't agree with you and then you get into a fight. <laughs> what does that do, right? And so it comes back, if you think it through, that's not our biggest commission. Our biggest commission is the gospel. And part of that is helping with injustice. But that's, okay, I think I said enough on that, okay? And then we must question the motive of our financial stewardship. We must question it, all of us, you know, not, not just at one point, but every day as we're making financial decisions, big ones. Am I furthering the kingdom or am, not, or am I furthering my own kingdom? And Nehemiah here certainly furthered God's kingdom and God remembers him. God remembers him. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a passage in the Bible where um, Jesus was explaining, you know, uh, to, to, you know, this is a picture, a prophecy about the judgment. And they were saying that um, this group of people did well and that you feed me when I was hungered. You know, you gave me water when I was thirst, thirsty. And they say, we didn't do that, right? We didn't do that. And, and, and Jesus said, you did that when you, you know, gave to the least of this to the poor. And we can do that too. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we, we thank you for Nehemiah chapter 5. Uh, Lord, there is uh, so much uh, here uh, regarding um, our needs to help our brothers and sisters in Christ to be a servant, to help with injustice, um, to see where our, our heart is in terms of um, financial stewardship, because that reflects on where our heart is. Uh, God, I pray, uh, Lord, that we would see uh, the judgment seat of Christ. We would see that what we do here on earth matters at the judgment seat of Christ. And not only that, it matters here right now, because, Lord, you've given us wealth, Lord, to be able to be used as a tool to help other people. And so, Lord, would you start with me? Would you start with us, Lord, to see, uh, Lord, we, we ought to have um, a generosity that we see here in Nehemiah. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are so generous to us that you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, Lord, who, is, who has all wealth and yet became poor uh, so that we can be rich uh, eternally. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.